0: It was 1985, which is a long time ago. I graduated from Dallas Seminary. It was a great time for me. My studies were finally over. I was excited about being a pastor and serving in a local church. But, as many of you know, it was May. And by that time, I'd already sent out resumes all over the place. Because at Dallas Seminary, those days, you just went up and there were churches that would list, say church needs a pastor, assistant pastor, youth pastor, senior pastor. And if you were interested, you would just sign your name and they would send your resume out for you. I signed everything. You know, because I didn't have any job and I wanted to be a pastor. Most, I signed up for senior pastors, but there were other pastor jobs I signed up for too. And it was now May and, and I had uh, never heard from a single person. Not one person. Uh, not one church even had even called me back or, or any, and had even said, we got your resume. So I did get one letter from a church in Florida and it said that I was not qualified to be a pastor because I was a single person. And I was, a little upset about that. I didn't write them back. I started to write them back and ask him would you take Jesus or Paul? But I, I didn't do that. I didn't. <laughs> you know. But uh, here's what I decided to do. I had a plan. I continued to send out resumes because churches were looking for pastors, so I sent that out. Second, I prayed. I, I said, God, you know my desire is I went to seminary and I want to be a pastor and you gifted me to teach the Bible and all that. And that's my desire, so I prayed to him. And the third thing, I tried to trust him. And the to rest in him, and uh, I knew he was going to work it out, and because, uh, you know, all things work together for good. Those that love God, those that are called according to purpose. He works all things according to the counsel of his will, Ephesians one eleven. So I knew that he was working everything. So I planned, and I prayed, and I trusted. What do we do in the trials and problems of life? Well, what, what do we do? Well, the second slide says we plan and pray and trust. This evening, as we see Jacob on the way back, He's on the way back to see his brother, and uh, he's going back to the promised land. and He's going to have to face Esau. And how, how does he and his wife face this issue? Well, we're going to see that he does the same three things. He plans, and he prays, and he trusts. And we're going to see how that fits together. And I think it fits for all of us. And whatever's coming, you know, we have to think about, okay, what, 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 what's the plan? And then I lift it up to God, and then I trust him. You remember that as we start back, that Jacob has left Tehran. He's on the way back to the land that God had promised him. He's promised his father Abraham and then down to Isaac. Excuse me, his grandfather Abraham and then to his father Isaac. And now to Jacob himself. is based on the covenant that God made. And to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's been passed down. And the promise is that I will be with you. Now is the time of crisis. Twenty years had passed 20 years before Jacob deceived. Now, that's what Jacob names mean. and, and, And we've seen this over and over that Jacob is a deceiver. Laban wasn't very sharp either. Esau wasn't very sharp either. Isaac made mistakes too. Abraham, all of these people, you look at them and you say, well, that's Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Judah and all these people. They all mess up. They all make mistakes. You look at our lives. That's how we are. We're fallen people. Now, 20 years before Jacob had deceived his brother, deceived his father, and stolen the blessing. Did Esau still desire to kill him as what the plan was? That's what Esau said, I'm going to kill him. And that's why he got sent off. Well, this is a turning point in Jacob's life. Because we're going to see God changes Jacob from this point on. You know, We've looked at him all this time. And God has given him promise after promise and blessed him over and over and over. And Jacob is still a deceiver. And we look at our lives and we say, you know, what has God done for me? He's given me eternal life. He's given me the word of God. He's given me spiritual gifts. He's given me everything that I have comes from him, and I'm still a jerk, right? That's how we look at our lives, and that's how we are. But there's going to be a change. This chapter and the next chapter, we're going to see a change in Jacob. He's no longer going to be Jacob the deceiver. God's even going to change his name to Israel, the Prince of God. And we'll see how that works. Let me break down the passage for you. This is kind of the whole thing. We're going to see God's appearances there. The angels come, and he calls it two camps. And then we see Jacob's plan. That is, as he prepares to meet Esau. Then we see Jacob's prayer based on God's promises. And that's a great thing. If you're going to pray, pray based on the promises of God. That's always good. And then the fourth thing is we see Jacob's gifts. He's getting everything ready. That's where we'll stop tonight. That then next week we're going to meet one of those passages that, that a lot of people say, What are you talking talking about Jacob wrestles. He wrestles with God. I mean, can you imagine that, wrestling with God? I mean, you're not going to win, let's face that, right? I mean, you know that. It's like he's heavyweight and you're 125, you know? It's not a chance. So we're going to see how that works, but that's where we get the name change, and there's some great things there. We'll see that, of course, next time as we look at it. Let's see how all this fits together. Let's begin. Uh, In chapter 31, listen to this. You don't have to turn there. Chapter 31, verse 3. The Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers, to your relatives, and I will be with you. He had been in Haran, which is Iran, Iraq. God says to go back to what we call the promised land, which we call today Israel. God says, leave Haran and go back. Go back to the promised land. I will be with you. Now, I want you to understand something. God said the same thing to you. He says, I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. What should you fear? Jacob has now entered the northern part of the land. He's going to end up in Shechem, which is in the middle part of the land. But as he gets back to the first part of the, you might say, first part of the promised land, God appears to him and, and reminds him. Jacob is remembers that God is with him. Look at verse 1, chapter 32. Now, as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. Now, as he enters the land, as he means the way, the angels of God, literally the host of God, that's God's messengers and servants. Do you remember what happened 20 years ago when he left? What happened? He went to a place which uh, he called Bethel, which means house of God. And he came to this place and he laid down to sleep and he had a dream. And what was in the dream? He saw a stairway to heaven. He actually saw this, this uh, ramp to heaven. And who was on the ramp? angels of god going up and down and the lord was at the top and so as he left there were angels giving him and god giving him a message as he comes back there's the angels it's basically god saying say nothing changes i'm right here i've always been with you and we're going to see god gives him a message and so uh it's really to remind him of the promise of protection look at verse 2 jacob said when he saw them wow this is god's camp Uh, this is God's company, really. And so he says, so he named the place Mahanam, which means two camps. And what he's really saying is, and and that's, let me get the slide here, he named the place Mahanam, which means two camps. Because what he's saying, I'm here, and God's here. I'm not, I don't have to be afraid. God's here with me. At least this is what he's thinking right now. Realize that he's not alone. This is Jacob's camp and God's camp. And it's it's true that we should never forget that as we live on this earth, as we face the trials, the problems, the uncertainties of life, that God is with us. Hebrews 13, the verses I just quoted a while ago. Now, he must face Esau. In our study, Esau has been called a godless man. A godless man. Uh, we've seen that Esau. If you look in the the New Testament, Esau is described as a godless man who sold his birthright and sold everything. I mean, just he he, he fulfills his desire. Uh, it has been said already that Esau said that when Isaac the father died, that he would kill his brother Jacob. That's his plan. Would Esau still want to kill him? What do you think? I mean, what do you think? Do you think after twenty years that Esau has said, you know, that was no big deal. I lost my birthright. And I lost my blessing. You know, my brother's a great guy. I can hardly wait to see him. What do you think? What do you think Jacob thinks? Jacob's going, I don't know. God told me to go back. God told me to go back to the land and I will be with you. As he faces this trial and, and, and as we see this, think about how to face the uncertainties of life. Remember the big three. Think about it. Plans prayer or praise and trust. That's what he does. The big three. It's the same for us. We plan in wisdom. We plan, prepare. We decide what to do. Think about it. I said, okay, even though no church has let me know anything at all, I'm still going to send out resumes. I'm still going to plan this. He prays or we pray. We lift up our request to God. Philippians 4, 6, Be anxious, nothing but everything My prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. There's no doubt about it. That's Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And when we lift up our request... And then the third thing is trust. You just we just have to trust. And God's sovereignty that he's working all things. This is what Jacob does. The first thing, let's see his plans, okay? Look at his plans. His plans, he's going to use the wisdom that God has given him. He's going to think through this thing. Now, sometimes Christians think that when we uh, we, uh, become Christians and and we start thinking about God, that we check common sense at the door and that we don't think about anything. No, God has given us a great mind. He's given us decision-making capacity. We're to make wise decisions. James, uh, you know, the book of James says, don't say. I will do this, but say, if the Lord wills, I will do this, but we, we plan. Now, watch this. The the first thing that Jacob's going to do is his plan is he's going to send out messengers, okay? Watch what he does, verse 3. Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the, com- the country of Edom. He commanded them, saying, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus, you, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned, uh, sojourned with Laban and stayed until now, now, notice what he says. He sends some messengers to go to his brother. He didn't go first. He sends some people to his brother to say, "Go tell my brother, I'm on the way. I'm coming. I've spent time with Uncle Laban, and now I'm on the way back." And notice that uh, some some neat things about this. Jacob sent messengers before his brother. Esau. Look at verse four. He also commanded them, saying, "Thus you shall say to my lord Esau." Whoa. He calls Esau his lord. And notice what else. "Thus says your servant." Jacob. What does he call himself to Jacob? A servant. We see humility. See, one of the things he's trying to do, and go ahead to the next slide, it, he's talking about humility here. He's not coming as a conqueror. He's not coming back after these 20 years to meet Esau saying, hey, you know, I've had a great time and I'm pretty tough. He's coming back saying, I am your servant. Throughout the Word of God, God always exalts the humble and brings low the what? proud. It's the way it is. It's always the way it is. Look what he tells them. He says, tell them this, I've sojourned with Laban and I've stayed until now, and then notice, I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants that I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. Now he wants him to know, I've got a lot of stuff. God's really blessed me. I've got oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants. I have everything, but I've sent all this ahead of time. I'm letting you know this so that I may find Favor in your sight. You know what he's saying? I uh, I hope that you'll let bygones be bygones. Right? You know, I'm coming back and I got a lot of stuff. But, you know, I just wanted you to know I want to find favor in your sight. I don't want you to be, I don't want you to kill me when I get back. What was the response? Will Esau be angry? What did we say while ago? What would you think about Esau 20 years later? I think of Esau, it's probably 20 years just getting madder and madder and madder, you know. Saying, I'll be glad when he gets back. Notice verse 6. The messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau, and furthermore, he is coming to meet you. And 400 men with him. What do you think right off? This does not sound like a great day for Jacob, right? I mean, if he says, your brother's on the way, and he's got 400 men with him. Now, listen, if he was just coming to visit, why do you need to bring 400 men, right? So what does Jacob immediately think? He's coming to kill me. He's coming after me. I mean, I've sent messengers up there. I told him I've got a lot of stuff. He's got 400 men. Their place is to come back, kill us all, and get all the stuff. That's what he thinks. So look at his response. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Now, what did God tell him to do? Go back and I will be with what? With you. Does God say, I'll always be with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. And he says, go make disciples. He says, oh, we, but aren't we afraid sometimes? But he said he's going to be with us. Why aren't we afraid? Well, because think, we think 400 men's coming after us, right? I mean, that's what, you know, so Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed and he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. Now, here's his response. Think about it. Listen to this. Is he coming to kill him with 400 soldiers? Is he coming to receive him for, a, is he bringing 400 people for a big party? Or is he bringing 400 people to kill him? Now, what do you think on the background of Jacob and, and Esau? you'd probably think he's not coming to have a big party. That's what we're thinking. We don't know what he's going to do, but it looks to us like if he's bringing 400 men, he's probably bringing 400 soldiers, not 400 people for a big party. So what does he do? His plan, and the first thing he did in his plan was to send the messengers. The second thing he's going to do in the plan, go ahead and, and go to the next, is he's going to divide the company, his people, and flocks. Notice what he said here. Uh, then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, verse 7. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. Now, why would he divide them? What is the, what, look what he says. For he said, if Esau comes to one company and attacks it, the company which is left will escape. He's got a good idea. This is his plan. I'm going to divide them into two groups. To, you know, I divide all the stuff that I have in two groups. If Esau comes and attacks one, maybe the other one can get away. That's the plan. That's what I'm hoping. And uh, so maybe they can escape. So here's, here's his plan so far. Go ahead to the next line. He sent his messengers to let him know that he's here, and he divides his company so he could save some if something happens. Now, we're going to come back to the plan because there's more to the plan, but we move to the second big thing. The first thing is to plan. The second thing is what? It's to pray. Look at the second thing. We're going to see his prayer. He turns to God. Notice his prayer is based on God's promises. Now, John Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress writes this. He says, Prayer is a sincere pouring out of our soul to God for such things that God has promised according to His Word. That is so great. Now, when we see this prayer, there are three things in the prayer I want you to think about. Number one, Jacob shows his unworthiness. Number two, he makes the petition. And number three, he claims the promises. Now, this is true for us. Think about it. When we pray, we come to God unworthy. We're coming boldly unto the throne of grace. It's not the throne of, of worthiness. We're not worthy to approach the living God. The only way we get to go to God is through Jesus Christ. And we come boldly unto the throne of grace. We come in unworthiness. We do not come demanding anything from God. I remember I heard a guy teach one time that God is obligated to give you whatever you ask if you use this certain formula and all that junk. I want to say God's not obligated to do anything except what he's promised. And we don't go to God saying, you owe me anything. Everything is from the grace of God. So uh, in the same way, we, we pray it we're unworthy. The second is we make our petitions. We make our requests known. So we be very specific. You've heard me say this before. The more specific your request, the more specific you will see the answer. If you say bless somebody, you might not actually see the blessing. But if you get very specific, you can see a specific answer. The third thing is he claims the promises, and that's what we're to do. We make our request based on the truths and the promises and the the principles of God's word. Look at the prayer, okay? This is the prayer, verse 9. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your relatives, and I will prosper you. Now notice how he starts. He addresses it to the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. wonder why. Because the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac have what with God? They have a covenant. Remember, God chose Abraham and made the covenant with him and promised him the land, the seed, the blessing. And then he came to Isaac and made the same promise, and by the way, he's already come to Jacob and made the same promise. So he says, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, and then notice what he says, O Lord. That is the personal name for God. That's why it's W H in the in the in the Hebrew, and it's the personal name of God. So he says, God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord, personal God. Who said to me, you told me, come back to your country, return to your country, to your relatives, and I will prosper you. You told me to go back and that you would prosper me and you would protect me and you would take care of me. Now notice, here's the key in verse 10. He's unworthy. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff only I crossed the Jordan and now I've become two companies. He says, I'm unworthy. When we approach God, we need to approach God as unworthy children of God. We, we, you know, It's the grace of God that he saves us, the grace of God he provides for us. He, all of his promises, they're all based on the grace of God. Now, we don't do anything to deserve all this. Because we, like sheep, have gone astray each one our own way. We must come to God with the unworthiness of saying, God, you are, you are the greatest. Think about it. Next slide. He We are sinful, but he's perfect. we are a creation he's the creator we are finite He is infinite. We are unworthy of god's loving. Kindness. I, I love this when it says, "I am worthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness." The Hebrew word loving kindness—we've talked about it many, many times. It's H E S E D. It's pronounced hesed, and it means a loyal love, an unchanging love, love that never, never changes. God's love is unchanging. He loved us so much; He sent His Son to die for us. God's love is unchanging—that He provides and protects for us. God's love is unchanging—that He is, we're going to get to spend eternity with Him. So we're unworthy. Jacob says, "I'm unworthy." I'm unworthy of all your loving kindness, of all your faithfulness, which you've shown to me. And then he says, by the way, when I left, I crossed over right here, and all I had was a stick. And now I'm coming back, and I got, I got two companies. I got stuff everywhere. Huge. He is, he's rich. He's rich. Now look what he says. Here's his request. And here it is. Deliver me. Verse 11. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. And he will come and attack me and the mothers with the children. Now this is what he's afraid of. He thinks Esau's coming with 400 men to kill him. And he prays to God and he says, God, you told me to come back. You told me you would be with me. I am unworthy of everything you've ever done for me. But here's my request. Please deliver me from Esau, because I'm afraid he's going to kill me and he's going to kill the the mothers and the children. He's going to kill everything. You remember we said that when he prayed, he prayed based on the promises. For you said, verse 12, for you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. You promised. That's the covenant. That's the covenant to Abraham, to Isaac, and now to Jacob. And he says, you made the promise with me. You told me to go back. You told me you were going to take care of me. You promised me blessings and offspring, and I'm trusting you. So in the prayer, he says, you told me to go. I am unworthy, but you are to protect me. Henry Morris said this. He says, Jacob reminds God of his promises and thanks him for his blessings, acknowledges unworthiness, and prays for deliverance. When we lift up requests in the middle of trials, we can say, Lord, I'm not worthy to even come to you, but you're the greatest and you've done all this for me and you've promised me that you'll always be there and you'll never leave or forsake me and you'll provide every need. And so I come to you and I, I just ask you, I ask you that you do this or you take care of me, you do this. Lord, just keep your promises as you always do. And he says, save me from Esau. You know what? If God promised Jacob, that he was going to bless him, make him prosper, and take care of him, I would not want to be Esau, right? I would not want to be Esau coming to get him. I wouldn't want to be Esau. Now, the question is, is Esau coming to get him or not? We'll see that. Well, we see more of Jacob's plans. You remember? Here's the plan so far. He sent messengers. He divided the company. Now, the third thing is he's going to send gifts. Sending gifts is always a good idea. That is, if you want to get on the good side of anybody, what should you do? Here, this is for you. Thank you. You're so sweet. Thank you. You know, send gifts. So look at verse 13. So he spent the night there. Then he selected from what he had with him a present for his brother Esau. He's going to send a present. Uh, he's going to plan to win over Esau with the gifts. You know, Proverbs 18:16 says a man's gifts make room for him. That means you want to get to see somebody sometimes. Uh, tell him I'd like to see him and I have this for him. Tell him to come on in. That happens. Proverbs twenty-one fourteen says, A gift subdues anger. Uh, you mess up at home. You go get flowers. These are for you. <laughs> Isn't that right? That's how life is. We know that gifts help. And when we give somebody something, we say, I'm sorry I messed up. This is for you. Thank you. He's saying maybe Esau won't be mad when he gets all these gifts. So let's see what he does. Look at verse 14. Uh, He selected the present for Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats and 200 ewes and 20 rams and 30 milking cows and their colts and 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. It's uh, 580 animals is what he's put together there. Good gracious, alive. That's a lot of animals. And so here's the plan. Watch what he says. He delivered them into the hands of his servants, every drove by itself. And he said to his servants, pass on before me and put a space between the droves. What he did is he said, okay, you take this many animals, you go first. Okay, let's get a little space. Okay, you guys get these animals, you go next, keep space in between the droves, y'all go ahead. Okay, let's get some more space, y'all go, okay, let's get another group, y'all go. So what the plan is, is these people would come up to Esau and they come up to me and he says, who are you? And they'd tell him, and they'd say, "All these presents are for you." And he'd go, "Good gracious!" And he'd look up, and it comes another group, and he'd say, "Who are you?" Say, "All these presents are for you." And he'd go, "Well, thank you. Put them right over there with the rest, okay?" And then, "Who are they?" That's what's going to happen. See, that's the plan. And he's thinking, surely, when he gets all these presents and all of this, he won't be mad at me. And look at verse seventeen, because this is this is his plan. What, what is he going to do? He says. Um, He commanded the one in the front, saying, When my brother Esau meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong, and where are you going, and to whom do all these animals in front of you belong, then you say, These belong to, notice how it's phrased, Your servant, Jacob. It is a present sent to my lord Esau. And behold, he also is behind us. So when he meets the first group, Esau says, who are you, where are you going, and what is all this stuff? They say, it's actually a present from Jacob. He's coming to see you. He's behind us. And the next group does the same thing, and the next group does the same thing. Notice, verse 19, he commanded also the second and the third and all those who followed the droves, saying, after this manner you shall, shall speak to Esau when you find him. That's the plan. The plan is we're going we're gonna to make him not be mad because we're going to give him a whole bunch of presents. And so verse 20, And you shall say, Behold, your servant Jacob also is behind us. He's on the way. For he said, I will appease him with the presents that go before me. Then afterwards I'll see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. Four hundred men are coming with Esau. He's sending presents ahead. Jacob is hoping that by the time he gets there, Esau will have been worn down by all the presents and be willing to be his friend. That's, That's his plan. And so, verse 21, so the present passed on before him while he himself spent that night in the camp. Now, this night is going to be one of the most unusual nights of his life. It's going to change his life. We all know in our lives sometimes there are events, there are things that happen, there are good things that happen, there are things that change us, and from that point on we're, we're never quite the same. Something good happens. And you know, when that happened to me, my life has never been the same. This? And this is what's going to happen this night. Because Jacob is going to meet God. And God's going to wrestle with Jacob. Jacob's going to wrestle with God. And Jacob is going to be a changed man. He's going to be different after this. It's powerful. So his plan, tell him I'm coming, divide the camp, send the presence. He prayed, I'm unworthy. I request that you save me based on your promises. And, and we do the same. We do the same. Go ahead with the slide. When we face uncertainties, we plan, wisely use what God has given us. We pray based on the word of God. And the third part is what we'll see next time, trust. And that is trusting. Next slide, I think. Trusting and resting in God. It's powerful. When we see the conclusion of this passage, I think it is one of the most unusual events in the scripture. And, you know, when that passage is over, uh, we'll get to 33. And chapter 33 is where Jacob actually meets Esau. If you want to read ahead, you can. Maybe you already have. You probably already studied it and saw what happens. But it's a very powerful passage. This this chapter 32 and chapter 33 are two of my favorite chapters in the Old Testament because we see that God, that Jacob's having to trust God and we see what happens uh, when, when, it, when they come together. So Jacob's going to face Esau. He's got his plan. Send the messengers. Divide the company. Send the gifts. He's got his prayer. I'm unworthy. My petition is to save me based on your promises. We see Jacob trusting God. And there's some powerful things. Let's get some applications. First one is this. How do we face the problems and uncertainties in life? I mean, how do we do this? Well, A, plan. Use wisely what God has given us. Do that. Wisdom in the Old Testament was always concrete. It was always specific. When we talked about Old Testament wisdom or or wisdom anytime, it is knowing and applying. It is concrete. It is based on the knowledge. And, And God is concerned. God wants us to make our plans based on what wisdom truths and things that He has given us so plan when when we got uncertainty we don't just say i'll just stand here we say no here's the plan the second thing we do is we pray we go to god in prayer philippians 4 6 be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known what do we do when we pray we recognize our unworthiness we're approaching the grace the throne of grace we 're coming with the with the unworthiness as a fallen child of God and saying lord i, I don 't even deserve to get to be with you, but it 's all your grace. The second is we offer our petitions, we let it be specific, we tell God what 's going on and what we need, and we trust his promises in fact we we make our request based on the promises of god the things that he's already promised us you know what is so great is he'll never leave us or forsake us what should we fear the last thing we do and we're going to see this when we get really next week is we rest in god's strength that's trusting him we cling to him and you know jacob wrestles god what does he do you remember the the wrestling at the very end jacob's holding on and god basically says let go and jacob says i'm not letting go you know, and what he's really saying is, I got, I'm holding on to you now, and I'm going to hold on to you from now on, and that's how we go through life, holding on to God. God, I, you know, you're the greatest. He is a power. Alan Ross says we must rid ourselves of self sufficiency. So as we pray, face the, the trials and uncertainties of life, what are the three things? I think we do. We have a slide. We plan, we pray, and we trust. May we use what God has given us as we lift up our requests to God, as we trust Him in the trials and crisis of life. There's some great things. We'll see what happens next time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great passage. Thank you, Lord, as we see Jacob and what he's doing as he's going back and the, the fear. and the, the, the but, but we see him as he plans. He plans what to do. He divides the company. He sends the presence. He does all these things. Uh, we see how he prays, how he prays that, uh, that that God would protect him totally and save him from Esau. And we see how he's trusting. And we'll see that more next time as he wrestles with God. Thank you, Lord, that in the trials of life, we can Use wisely what you've given us. We can lift up our request and we can just trust you that you work in all things according to the counsel of your will. May we rest in you. Thank you, Lord, for these truths. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's any questions, comments. I know we're right at time, but yeah, yes. Well, there's an aspect of there that what he's doing, he's, he's using wisdom. Because wisdom says, if you're going to meet an enemy, uh, how how do you settle down an enemy? One way you settle down an enemy is you try to, not necessarily even a bribe, it's just, I'm going to give him the present because I'm trying to get him not to be so angry. Now, it is true that Jacob is still called Jacob at this time, and Jacob is still a deceiver. And actually, he's thinking, okay, i got my plans now. This is my plans. This is my deceptions. I'm going to divide everything. I'm going to send all the presents. Who knows, by the time he gets here, it won't be an issue anymore. So it, yeah. It, I mean, Jacob is not to the point yet that he wrestles with God. He's going to be different after he wrestles God, and he's going to limp from that point on. And every time he takes a step, he's going to remember, I have to trust God. I have to trust God. So, yeah, good point. I, I think there is an aspect of of he's still not really trusting God yet, but he's there's wisdom. I and mean, when when we go through life, we don't we're not foolish. We don't go up to the enemy and say, "Well, you're still the same jerk you were last time." You know, you, you, you know, so there's some wisdom there okay. especially, when you're especially when you're outnumbered when there's 400 soldiers coming that way it looks like you better get as many presents as you can right okay what else any other questions comments anything yeah hey jj you, my wife, never flowers she's done something wrong. i know mm. well maybe after tonight's passage that she can make some applications and that could help yes okay <laughs> Anything else? Alrighty, thanks for coming. Heavenly Father, thanks for a great night. And thank you for each one. Use us, Lord, for your glory. Thank you for Jesus and eternal life as a gift. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.